Hey, what is going on, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. If money matters and matter is mass, then the masses need money. My name is Thomas, and I'm here as always with my good friend Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And did you understand that catchphrase? <laughs> <laughs> I had to read a few times, and I was like, yeah, yeah, matter has mass and and money. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking, man? Um, it's not a beer. Mm, it's not a beer. It's it is. Cool. <laughs> it is uh, Trader Joe's seltzer water with lemon zest. Ooh, so <laughs> I know it was like a dollar. I saw you hold up a glass of water, and I was like, "How can he make this fancy?" It's in my it beer glass, like though. Well, I do have a beer glass. Go on. I decided to just be weird and put my coffee in a beer glass. Mm. It's actually, I don't know. It's kind of pleasant. Sure, that's not a white Russian. It is not a white Russian. I don't drink those anymore. Mm. It's only a college drink. Well, I mean, maybe. I don't think so. The Big Lebowski like to drink white Russians. I think that was the first alcoholic drink I ever had was a white Russian in college. Really? Yeah. My first alcoholic drink was a bottle of really crappy wine. And... I got a horrible hangover from it, and then I waited an entire year to drink after that. Oh my god! That then the next alcoholic drink I had, uh, you know those like Mio water flavor enhancer things that you can buy at the store? Maybe it's like a drop, and yeah, it's like a little eyedropper. Yeah. So, being the stupid college kids we were, we just mixed Everclear with water and that. Uh, <laughs> I never had a good time after drinking Everclear. <laughs> Nor did anything make it taste good. It was a pretty good. It didn't taste good. Mm. Uh, it was a pretty good time. I don't recall waking up with quite as bad of a hangover as the wine. So we'll call that a win. But that's a drink I'll never relive. Anyway, dude, what are we talking about today? You've woken so, me up on a Sunday morning. Mm. How dare you? We, I thought you have like a morning routine and you're already up at like 5 a.m. Uh, I was up early actually, but you, you've made me work on a Sunday morning. I mean like I, I never, woke up. I ever work on Sundays. I woke up to an email from you about morning routine, so I imagined you were already <laughs> up. Uh, oh, you subscribed to my email list. I do. Uh, nice. So we're talking about 22 uh, life lessons from Warren Buffett and their quotes and I think like where – necessary which which may always be necessary we'll just like dive in and like talk about each of them and uh he's a man who's lived quite a lot of life and made some awesome decisions and i think we can learn from um him is he currently the richest people or person yeah i think he's like the second, the second. right now yeah. he's the second it looks like bill gates is the first jeff bezos is, i think is the third and that'll yeah. probably change very soon why do you think that will change He's been like rocketing up the list. And, oh, you uh, think Jeff Bezos will be higher? Yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree. Like two years, I, he'll I'm, probably I'm be so far I'm kind of confident ahead. that Jeff Bezos is going to be the richest person in the world. Like, like ever. fairly soon. Yeah. Just like knowing how that man works and also knowing – I just get this perception that he is a lot more aggressive than the other two on the list. And he's so much younger than them. That, yeah. like, he has how many more years to compound, you know? Because what is he, 50-something? 50 53. He's 53. Mm-hmm. Warren Buffett is 86. 
and then Bill Gates is 61. I guess Bill Gates is like not that old, but he's always looked kind of old to me. Yeah, he he worked really hard. Yeah, I mean, not that the other guys didn't. I don't know. Maybe just shows on his face more. I do remember reading a Quora question recently because I was curious. I was like, hmm, I wonder why Bill Gates is still the richest person in the world, even though he's not heading up Microsoft. He divested a lot and he's been. Yeah, there was like a really, really good breakdown. And I think I think like his like Microsoft's percentage in his portfolio was something like three (laughs) percent. So like when you think of Bill Gates, you think of Microsoft, but really like his involvement in Microsoft these days is very small. Yeah. And he's much more invested in other things. But anyway, so Warren Buffett, mm. you got 22 quotes from him. We're going to be here till next Thursday. All right. All right. Let's jump in. I feel like we're going to riff on like a zillion of these. <laughs> so, uh, so our first category is risk then. Uh, and the first lesson from Buffett is that risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. Which sounds to me like a, I don't know, like a pretty obvious thing. I feel like a lot of these are kind of obvious, but uh, people like don't follow them anyways. You yeah. Know, like, like, well, obviously you have to invest in the stock market to make money. And so I heard Andrew drinks Trader Joe seltzer water. So I'm going to put all my money into Trader Joe's. <laughs> like maybe that's a good idea. I don't know. Sounds like you don't know what you're doing though. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess there is, there is some insight there because a lot of people, I think, get into things not knowing what they're doing to such a degree that overconfidence or just like hubris will take over their logical side. Mm. And that's when bad decisions are made. And I know that from reading, you know, my limited amount of reading on Warren Buffett, um, one of his core philosophies is like, know the business that you're investing in so well that at least from your perspective, there is very little risk because you're so confident in your knowledge of that industry or that business. And I was reading that uh, he like literally just reads all day. Like he doesn't really do much at work besides sit at the office and read. Yeah, him and Charlie Munger yeah. both do. I think which is awesome. I wish I could. How do much that. reading did you do in in your stock picks? Number two. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Like, I, I don't know how many stocks you have. I have two. Mm. I have. So, um, I would say that there is significant risk in one of them because I, like, I think I talked about this in the last episode. It was a penny stock. I put 40 bucks into it, but it was literally just like a friend of mine is really into stocks. And I was like, let's see. Let's test your confidence in this stock. <laughs> Just curious. So I think I have like four. There's nothing pretty much. Okay. No, I have Tesla, which I like. I've read so much about Elon Musk. I probably read more about him than any other topic that exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple, which I was obsessed with. I bought like eleven billion years ago, and uh, like that- zillion now. No, it's it's not quite a zillion, but it is done <laughs> really good, really really good. Uh, and then Lehman Brothers, and we now that one worked out, and Lending Club, and if you don't know, it didn't work out well. Like, so you're kind of like a point five percent or batting average at yeah. this point. Which you know, if I was a professional baseball, that'd be pretty Decent. good. Yeah, yeah, but if you're a professional baseball player who's only ever hit four balls <laughs> or swung at four pitches, you're not a professional baseball player. Mm. More pitches, Andrew. That reminds me, we never did our um. 
Sirens of Titan stock investing simulation. Well, we have to put that together because I think that would be awesome. And I would <laughs> I probably so. super yep. lose. <laughs> I, okay, I want to start. Now that we have Robin Hood and there's no, there's no commissions, mm. like I feel like we could do it with some like pittance of money. And just like, see what happens. Everyone throws in a hundred dollars, and you could buy and sell as many times as you want, as long as you document it. And uh, yeah, I need to go back and read the book again to see exactly what it was. But I'm fairly certain, like it was just the dude locked himself in a hotel room, and every single day he took the next two words of the Bible, and then took the first uh, first letter of each word and found a company that matched those two letters, and then bought it. And he probably did better than most people. <laughs> well, in the book, he becomes like the richest man of the world or something like that. Oh, wow. So it works out pretty well, either by divine providence or by just blind luck. But I understand that it's a stupid investing method, but I just am very curious to see like what what would actually happen if you were to do something like that. <clears throat> I feel like you'd be good. Would you be even? I don't know. I mean, if you're making a trade every day then you are diversifying quite a bit. Mm. And there is a quote on diversifying down in here somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, is it last one? Maybe. Oh, <laughs> so here's, here's Warren chastising us. Cause yes, this is the last one. Why diversification is only required when investors do not understand what they're doing. Which is super interesting because he doesn't necessarily, I mean, he's diversified over time, but he, pours a lot into one thing and his recommendation to his wife and kids and just people in the future is like just buy index funds because unless you're going to be like him and spend your life researching this stuff um yeah this will prevent you from failing who's the guy we interviewed recently who just he said he spent like a hundred hours per stock pick and research oh i know you're talking about it might have not been super recent, actually, but I do remember we had, we had a guest on the show who said but that he did that. I'm I'm thinking of a name, of a guest. You thinking of Doug again? <laughs> <laughs> the name that just can't stick in your head ever. <laughs> but yeah, hey, that that diversification quote is actually pretty uh, related to the risk quote. Mm. So I guess the lesson here is seek to know what you're doing as much as possible. Though I would temper that with like eventually there's a point where you get into analysis paralysis and there is always going to be some degree of risk in anything you do because uncertainty and you capitalizing on a position that currently has some uncertainty right now, that is where a lot of value is created. But, uh, and I I think that you're going to resonate with this as well, but he says, uh, it is not necessary to do extraordinary things to get extraordinary results. And I think that, like, if you just do a lot of, like, normal things in the right direction, you know, or in a direction, like, it, he, does, he didn't do anything incredible. It wasn't like he, I don't know, just cured mm-hmm. cancer or something. Like, he just put a lot of focus into not making terrible choices. So, but I guess, yeah, I guess so if you, like, if you leverage systems correctly over the long term without fucking up too much, then you do get extraordinary results mm. because most people don't. Yeah, I guess, I guess I could agree with that. I so it's one of those quotes that things. doesn't really sound right. Cause you know, like, what's that quote? It's like, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. I love that. It kind of sounds like the antithesis to that. 
<laughs> you don't like that quote? I, I mean, I do like it. It just it just seems kind of like like you should have to do extraordinary things to get extraordinary results. Yeah, but we're all people. But I guess like, you don't. Everyone yeah. put their, puts their pants on one leg at a time. No one's speak for yourself. <laughs> Actually, I have no doubt that you put yours on two legs at a time. I backflip off of my bed into my pants <laughs> while brushing your teeth. While you have to do two habits at extra, once. Yeah, extra productivity. And uh, the wind speed that I generate from the backflip actually styles my hair. So I don't even need to use any product or anything I, like that. I thought that the wind speed from that powers your computer. That too. <laughs> All right, so we really are jumping around here. Mm. Um, I'm going to try to cross some of these off so I know which ones that we've done. While but you're crossing, one, go again. Oh, you got it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it says, uh, he says, after all, you only find out who is swimming naked when the tide goes out. And uh, the first thing I thought of was, uh, I remember hearing these stories of people right before 2008 they, they were maybe like a bartender and they own like two or three homes and oh, they're yeah. all like fully mortgaged. And, you know, it's not like there's anything wrong with being a bartender or you can't get super rich bartending at the right bar with the right clientele. But, you know, uh, there, there's something to say about um, these people that are doing things that just sound crazy. Like, how could that possibly make sense? Uh, and then when the crisis happens and then, you know, the housing prices crash, they're the ones that are like fucked yeah that reminds me of the the stripper in the big short who owns five houses <laughs> <clears throat> well she could be just a really good stripper she could be a really good stripper but i have my doubts mm. i just i don't know you have to be a really good stripper like you'd have to have like a light show just come out of every pore of your body or something i feel i feel <laughs> this is this should be a video <laughs> what that that where you demonstrate yeah all right well i mean i can do that probably <laughs> i'm sure there's somebody who could teach me to just like shoot lights out of every random part of my body that's normal <laughs> <laughs> so the last risk quote here should you find yourself in a chronically leaking boat energy devoted to changing vessels is likely to be more productive than energy devoted to patching leaks and I guess my question to that quote is how do you know when the leakage is chronic? Mm. How do you know that you're kind of past the point of no return with trying to right the ship and it's time to try something else? I mean, because this does this isn't just investing advice. You know, you could apply this to to Anything. business, to a relationship, to all kinds of stuff. Like at what point do you realize I need to get out? I'll tell you, I'm stubborn as hell. And I, I rarely give up, even if I should have, like, forever ago with mm -hmm. pretty much anything. Uh, I don't I don't know how you would tell, to be honest. Um, what, do you have thoughts? <laughs> I'm not sure. It's one of those questions that's really hard to answer. Um, actually, this reminds me of something that I get asked about a lot on my podcast, which is, when do I change my major? Because on one hand, any major, no matter how interesting it is to you, there's going to be this novelty period where you're really excited, everything seems super cool, and then you're going to hit the dip mm. where the novelty wears off, the returns 
don't come for a while and you're just kind of like mired in the shit while you work and build your skill or your connections or your base of work or whatever it is. And in a lot of cases, like you don't build a true passion in what you're doing until you have all that experience under your belt. So a lot of college students who haven't really done much in terms of their career yet, they get there and they start wondering, like, do I change my major because this isn't super fun anymore or do I need to stick it out? And I think the only concrete piece of advice that we can give there is just be mindful of how you feel about your work over the long term and be mindful of the qualities that you tend to see yourself enjoying and not enjoying. Because maybe if you can pinpoint certain qualities, then you'll be able to make a better decision. But really, you have to do that work and go through those experiences to be able to make a decision. I, I feel think like it's very hearing difficult that to do it up front. inspired me because I, I wasn't sure. And when you were talking about like, well, like I think anything is a lot of work, right? And so like you have to be able to slog through that. But it's when you don't feel that you're moving forward or making progress. Like if it is just a lot of work, you know, and, and any major, you know, is go, there are going to be periods of just where it sucks. You know, it's a lot of work and you just have to kind of do it. But uh, if like say you have to keep taking uh, math like 203 and you have to do it like 10 times, like then you're probably you should just switch. Right. Yeah. And I think it's the point. Like if you're always fixing leaks in this boat, you got to get a new boat. Um, so as long as you're making progress, I guess you're good. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So we are now moving into the value category. And you know what? I think I want to combine these first two because I think they go together. So the first one is price is what you pay. Value is what you get. And then number two, it's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. And I like both of these because I think they highlight the difference between price and value because they are very separate things. They're often just loosely tied together through perceptions, through the market, through all sorts of things that don't actually matter. Mm. And as an investor or as a business person, you have to understand that difference. Would you so, rather like, buy the car for 10000 or 5000 I don't know what's wrong with the car at 5000 <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, like I would rather buy it at 5,000. Oh yeah. I mean, all things else considered equal then mm. yes, absolutely. But I mean, price is often tied to perception or tied to fear or tied to greed or all mm. kinds of stuff. I mean, just look at the market. Like was United actually worth, you know, $10 less per share than it was the week before just because they dragged some dude off a plane. It's like, I will well, only buy United like, when they punch people in the face. And they did. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, once they like, once jackbooted thugs start coming on the plane and just like <laughs> roughing people up for fun, just like the warriors from that 80s movie just are on the plane just messing with people. Like plane robberies happen. That's when I'm buying United. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like that's a good example. Is the value of that company reflected in the price or is the is the price being heavily influenced by some very temporal thing or just a lot of emotions, a lot of anger, a lot of outrage, all kinds of stuff like that. Mm. And you can make investment decisions off that. You know, I think that like that's a, an example of like a good time to be rational and maybe buy because you can make the prediction that, oh, 
people are only going to stay angry for so long and next week Donald Trump will have done something else people are mad about or like some other person will have done something else or I don't know Louis CK turned out to be a woman or something like everyone's going to find something to be either outraged about or and they'll forget on, about the, and they'll uh, forget about the last thing that happened mm. you know I almost I was like gonna come up with an example of something that we were all pissed about and can't remember but I can't remember anything else like we just <laughs> don't care anymore <laughs> um I, yeah I don't even know like how many people are still pissed off about the Ja Rule Fire Festival thing? If you've even heard about that, I haven't. Uh, basically, they were trying to like make Coachella on an island, and they—I don't know if they horribly mismanaged it or it was an actual scam, but it was super expensive. And then people got there, and like the accommodations were just like FEMA tents, mm. and everything was like broken and not ready, and. So all these people were stuck on an island out thousands of dollars and the festival just didn't happen. That's and then the company up. was like, oh, we're not going to pay our employees either. But if you guys want to stay on and help out, you know, you can like basically a backhanded way to get people to not be able to claim unemployment. That's like they're, they're fucking dicks, you know, and, and like when it was a big story, there was people super pissed about it. But I'm pretty sure most people don't care anymore. And most people don't care about United dragging a guy off a plane anymore. Obviously, it sucks that it happened and it's it was not a good thing. But anger fl uh, flames out pretty quick. So I think that we I think like all the other value ones are like pretty similar. OK, um, but I really like the, the people ones. Um, so the first one, it's better to hang out with people better than you. Pick out associates whose behavior is better than yours, and you'll drift in that direction. And it's like generally yes. the you're the average of the five people you hang out with. And uh, if there's that one guy or girl you hang out with that's like the worst, and they're always making you do stupid shit, like you should probably just not hang out with them. Yep. And this is why I go to conferences. Because I get to meet people who are better than me at certain things who are doing amazing things in their own careers. And I always come out with new ideas. I come out like with a fire lit under my ass because yeah. I'm able to see somebody who's like killing it. And I'm like, damn, I need to get into gear because <laughs> this person's killing it. And I want to as well. Like I just went to a YouTuber conference and it was like it was for creators only. So I got to hang out with just YouTubers for the most part. And it was amazing. Like I had a four hour dinner with some of them. And one of the guys at the table was just like pounding away at us for like the shit we were being lazy at. Uh, it was great. <laughs> so I was so reading I definitely this, agree with that. I was reading this article and uh, there were like there was like some uh, scandal. Oh, oh, ah, so Warren Buffett owns a lot of Wells Fargo. And, mm. you know, they obviously had some scandals. And, uh, the, you know, the question was, like, why hasn't Berkshire Hathaway had similar scandals? And uh, he, he tells everyone that works for the company to imagine if what they did was in the newspapers, like how, mm. how they would feel, how their family would feel. Yeah. Um, like, people, would people think it was appropriate? And his quote is, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. Mm. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. And I just kind of like... Uh, if you're being sleazy and stuff and may, maybe it's like a slippery slope, you eventually get there. But if you are always questioning what you're doing and if your mom would be proud about it, you know, yep. or if you would love reading about it in the newspaper, you know, 
Yeah, I try to think of a lot of things in terms of like, what would my cynical 18 year old self that just like doesn't already have a business and just distrusts a lot of people or what would like my cynical friends think? Mm. I think that helps. Uh, and it's absolutely correct. Like if say like we did an ad for a company that was actually like a scam or something, even though we've done, I don't even know what you said, like 700 pieces of content episodes and articles yeah. and we've been doing this for years like that would severely damage your reputation because it doesn't take much to ruin trust and you think about united right they've been flying people for i don't know an insane amount of time and i'm sure there are, have been plenty of amazing experiences flying with them and they've like i don't know saved lives on flights and all this like crazy stuff and then it just takes one poor decision from someone who probably had a bad day and whatever and now everyone hates them yeah and i guess like it might have been a different situation if there was competition ready to step in mm. and just immediately overtake their routes but there isn't so it's like deal you always have examples of industries where the the leader is so entrenched they can basically like wave their dick in front of your face and still, you know, go home with the paycheck at the end of the day. Mm. And good on them, I guess. You know, if you if you want to be like a crappy ISP and there's no competition in the area, you know, good on you. But there are plenty of stories where like an ISP is crappy until Google Fiber comes to town. And then, then of they course, clean up their app. And of course, they give away like, free Wi-Fi. Hey, we're cutting our prices by 50% and giving you free shit and all sorts of stuff. Like, yeah. So obviously you can take advantage of a monopoly position, but otherwise your reputation is more important than any amount of money that you could make, any amount of short-term gain. So I found this one interesting. And this is this is Warren saying it, not me. But of the billionaires I've known. Money just brings out the basic traits in them. If they were jerks before they had money, they are simply jerks with a billion dollars. I think that is pretty <laughs> much the same. Like, so the people that are uh, these like companies that are treating people like shit, or people that treat people like shit, uh, when you, they become rich or they're poor, they're, it just uh, amplifies what they already were. So basically, that's countering the common thought that money makes people into jerks. Mm. Instead, it just it lets jerks be jerks with a lot of money, and that's bigger jerks. <laughs> there are plenty of like philanthropists that are like crazily rich and stuff, you know. But uh, the the guy who like opens a hospital to save children with like ten legs or like some like he doesn't get as much coverage as the billionaire who does something that's just an asshole move. Yep. Well, we like to hate assholes. That's mm. like a, another basic human trait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the next one, uh, there seem to be some there seems to be some perverse human characteristic that likes to make easy things difficult. And I agree with this one a hundred percent. that's my I life. have to make everything difficult. I think mm. we we overthink so much that doesn't actually matter. And this I mean, this comes up every single week when I'm editing the video for that week because I'll get into some little tiny like five second transition and I'll be like oh is the shade of gray on the background here 
is it good enough? And like nobody gives a shit. Laura and I like literally spent like just about ten hours on a landing page yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And it's probably not gonna matter. And I always think of like the videos I watch from other people. Do I really notice the color shade in their transition or whether or not there's like some cool spinning thing in the background? We're like, no, we need a radial gradient. Yeah, you know? we but have a radial gradient in there. It can't and be what, 200 pixels. It has to be 100 pixels. Exactly. Wait, no, 200 pixels. I think we just overcomplicate so much stuff out of either perfectionism or the fear that we'll lose some opportunity. Or maybe it's that because something is small, we feel like we have more control over it. Yeah. And so we put a lot more mental energy into it. So we kind of sabotage ourselves in that way. And I think really the way to get to get past it is just to stop and deliberately ask yourself, like, does this actually matter? Mm. I tried to do that with the last video and that was helpful. There were definitely sections of the video that people really enjoyed. And then the other sections where I was tempted to overthink, like no one even mentioned them at all. <laughs> so it's like, OK, I guess I, I don't need to spend too much time on those particular things. People get it. Yeah. And, and maybe oh, like ahead. a good one. I mean, I think this is like kind of similar. It's in the business section, but it says, uh, I don't look to jump over seven foot bars. I look around for one foot bars that I could step over. And so maybe if that thing is extremely difficult, or you're perceiving it as that, you know, or you're making it that, uh, maybe it's the wrong thing, right? Because there really isn't that many things out there that are that difficult. Yeah. I don't know if that is like a quote to live by, though. I don't know. I guess you could you can construe a lot of this in a lot of different ways. I think there's definitely something to be said for going after a really difficult goal, mm -hmm. but but on the like on the same coin, just the other side, you could say like, okay, you take you could take a really difficult goal, a seven foot bar, and you can break that down into one foot bars. So maybe you do have an overall very maybe that's challenging what it goal is. ahead of you, but you've broken it down. And I think that that's a lot of what I do. I'll just ask myself, like, how do I get 1% better this week? Or how do I just do a little bit better on this particular project? And if I keep doing that, then over time, I'll look back and be like, wow, this this thing that I just made now would have been a seven foot, a seven foot bar to myself a year ago. Yeah. But because I didn't think of it in terms of just I must do that right now back then, it seemed like a more doable progression. Mm. That makes sense. All right. So now that we're in a business, then the second quote here is in the business world, the rear view, the rear view mirror is always clearer than the windshield. So, I mean, that that's just hindsight bias. Yeah. Right? Like you yeah. understand it after having gone through it or seeing another business go through it. But. The future is uncertain. Yep. You know, that relates to one we skipped from the value section, which is the investor of today does not profit from yesterday's growth. Mm. I think we, we can put a lot of uh, stake in hindsight, but it doesn't always do us much good. Sometimes you can glean lessons from hindsight, which is good because you can apply those as mental models for the future and how you do things in the future. But if you're just looking at, you know, missed opportunity it's not always going to tell you what to do in the future to not miss a next opportunity. Just because Lehman Brothers was crushing it last week doesn't mean they will still be a company next week. Yeah. 
And I think from his perspective, uh, the big thing is like, know your fundamentals, understand the company, do your research. And like we always say, don't rely on past performance because it's not an indicator of future performance, Mm. you know, at all. You have no idea what's going to happen. So work to have an idea and don't base it on history, base it on facts and the people who are in the company and what you can study. And then the last one in business, you only have to do a very few things right in your life so long as you don't do too many things wrong. Well, thank you. <laughs> I guess I agree with that. So yeah, just uh, just don't fuck up too much. And then the <laughs> next one is very Fight Club esque. I wonder. I wonder if you read Fight Club and he's like, I'm gonna make a quote out of this book. So rule number one: never lose money. Rule number two: never forget rule number one. So I'm curious. Do you know much about his investment strategy? Value like, investing? You know, I, yeah, but I mean like him in particular. Do you know if he has like a like a threshold on losses where he'll cut the investment? Oh, I don't know about that. Or is it more like I am confident in the fundamentals even if there's a rocky period, we'll weather it hmm. and maybe buy more in that downturn? I mean he, he has far more control than we are where he usually buys enough that he can place leadership – you know, in the companies and they can report to his people or, I mean, I think he's always been control based, but he's a much bigger fish. Okay. Well, I'm just curious here. Cause I mean, we, we, you put this rule on the list, but I want to know like, how do I, how do I apply that? Like, how do I apply never lose money? Because does that mean like, you know, don't okay. I, I have a good example. Or what? So, um, you could put, uh, so a lot of people, they buy stock you know, say, and they bought it like $50 and then it goes up to $100. Like, oh my God, like I just doubled my money. Time to sell. But it could potentially go up to, I don't know, $500 and you're limiting your gains, right? So it's like reverse uh, logic. But what you could do is you could put a stop loss order in. And so say it started at 51 to 100, you could put a stop loss at 80. So if the stock ever drops in price, it just automatically sells so at the oh. end of the day, you've you've still made money and you've locked in your gains instead of, you know, waiting for it to crash below what you bought it at. So perhaps, you know, over time, you just have trailing stop loss orders so that you never lose money. Interesting. Because you could do the stop loss order, but on the other hand, if you buy something, it goes up, goes down, how do you know it's not going to go back up after that small dip? How do you know it's not a good idea to buy more there? I've often wondered if it would be a better idea to live by a stock investing philosophy where you have a gain threshold where you will sell and also a loss threshold. So instead of hoping for like a huge hit, you just say, I'm going to buy a stock. If it makes a 15% return, I sell it all and then I buy the next one. Like, I, don't, I mean, I think that's, what, that's not as sexy, but that's what flash crashes are like defined by like hard and fast rules that computers act on and just massive amounts of money oh, disappear yeah. and are created overnight for no reason. And I think that at the end of the day, uh, it really doesn't matter. Like there's like edge cases and exceptions to all of it. I think that you just need to um, 
follow what you can get behind, right? Because if you if like you tell me your killer strategy, I'm I'm just gonna follow Thomas's killer strategy because he's made money, but I'm mm-hmm. not comfortable with your approach. Uh, I pro- I will either self sabotage it or just I won't get the results that I need. You know, maybe I'm not as risky as you or not as yeah. conservative. Yeah, that makes sense. I still wonder how that would work though. I guess you could look at like modeling data for all sorts of different strategies and figure out how they've worked in the past. Mm. But anyway, so rule number two in investing, we simply attempt to be fearful when others are greedy and to be greedy when others are fearful. And I mean, that's, that's it, right? (laughs) That's exactly what my United buy was. Just understand human psychology and do the opposite when it's beneficial to you. Be rational when other people are, are not being rational. When everybody's making money doing this one thing uh, and it doesn't really make sense or just like, you know, uh, your grandpa's doing it, uh, maybe, maybe you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a colliery to that, um, when you notice you're confused, don't ignore that. Mm. And that's one of those core tenets and rationality that I always try to remember because it's very, very easy to gloss over confusion, especially when you're under pressure. Like say you're in the bank negotiating a mortgage or you're buying a new car or you're in a job interview and you know it's like a pretty high pressure thing where they're gonna make an offer and you don't have very much time. Mm. Um, I find that those are the situations where you will, you will very easily gloss over any confusion you have. And they're or, banking on example, you not saying anything. Yeah. Very good example from my life. Um, I have like contracts come in for ads. I mean, you have this too as well, mm-hmm. I think. And if the contract comes in like a month or two before the ad's going to go live, then I feel fine nitpicking every little term in the contract. But if it's like, oh, the ad's got to go live this Thursday, we need to get this thing signed. I might feel you know more inclined to gloss over something even though I'm confused by it or even though I'm like, hmm, that could be construed in a way that's disadvantageous to me. So in general, when you notice this doesn't really make sense with my model of how the world works, don't gloss over that because it's quite possible that your model of how the world works is correct and the thing that you're looking at is wrong or a scam or somehow broken. Or it could mean that the thing you're looking at is correct and it's an indication of your model being wrong and you need to update it. You know, it makes me remember like, so we're, we're looking to do business with this company and they send over a contract and I, I don't want to say their name, but they, they basically, uh, I always read these contracts cause I don't know, maybe I have too much time and, uh, you probably should, <laughs> you, you probably should. And, and they basically, they made it extremely difficult to understand where I had to like take pieces out and read it over and like ask Laura what she thought. And long story short, they were basically going to fleece the shit out of us. Um, how, uh, like how much bigger is this company than you? Oh, like huge. Oh, it's you. Okay. I mean, okay. What I was Not like huge, like, like, you know, uh, they're, they're much bigger than us though. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think that this comes from the Steve jobs book mm-hmm. that I'm listening to right now. Um, and I don't remember the exact company or the instance, but I do remember there was, there was an instance where he wanted to do business with another company. They sent over this big 20 page contract and he literally did not look at it. He sent it back and said, it needs to be one page. Mm. So I think this is, this is a product of loss aversion because when you, when you sense that you're about to cinch the deal, 
with an advertiser, a sponsor, or a job interview, or a house, or whatever, like you feel like you've gotten it, even though you don't have it yet. Yeah. So any any detail that threatens to delay it or to make the deal fall through, you will basically just you'll be very tempted to gloss over it just so you can get the thing that you feel like you've earned now. Um, but you have to realize that a contract isn't somebody dictating terms to you and then you must agree. It is a uh, you know, it's a situation between two parties that are trying to agree on something. So if 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 it's even something as like high level as, oh, this contract is too confusing and too confusingly worded, you can say that. You can be like, this is too confusingly worded. I want a different contract. In many cases in business, you can say, we want to use a different contract. Hmm. Um, I've had cases actually where a contract has been sent over. It's totally boil pl- like boilerplate. And I'm like, this doesn't work for the agreement we're setting up. So I'll have my lawyer draft a more simple agreement that we'll use instead. And lo and behold, they're like, okay, that yeah, works. They don't care. You know, they just, they want something in writing. And many times you don't know what their reasoning is. You might think they have to use this contract mm. when in reality it's like, oh, that's the boilerplate that our intern wrote for us seven years ago, just so it would be easy. And before that, we always like did bespoke contracts that we took our time to make well, you can demand that. There was, there's one thing that always baffled me about uh, Warren Buffett. Like he's been friends with Bill Gates for, I don't know, forever. They always see them at like basketball games and they're just like hanging out and like doing like weird, like, I don't know, drinking cherry Coke, <laughs> like stuff like <laughs> that. And uh, one of his quotes is, never invest in a business you cannot understand. And for the longest time, he refused to invest in Microsoft or pretty much any tech company. Mm-hmm. And uh, inadvertently, this worked out to his benefit because 2000 crash happened. All the tech stocks went up and then you know fell back down to reality. And he just didn't understand computers. He was from a different generation. He invested in companies he, he, get, he gets like yeah. Coca-Cola. And um, I think that in general, like if you say like, oh, well, I was like talking about Tesla. If you don't understand like what, why someone would want like a electric car doesn't matter how anyone feels about Elon Musk. You probably shouldn't invest in it because you just don't get it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's so where are you going with like the Bill Gates thing? Like did Warren Buffett eventually invest in Microsoft? No, he didn't. He had, didn't oh, okay. invest in like Google or any of these like companies that have exploded. And like, I mean like how could you not have invested in Apple or Google or whatever? But he did plenty fine not investing in them because that's just not his thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when, when you look at the big gains, that's FOMO. Yeah. You're just like, oh, I'm going to miss out on the big thing that's happening. It's but, the rear view mirror. you know, you're also missing out on all the crashes that everyone is getting fucked over by. Mm. Like, I don't understand Bitcoin. So when Bitcoin shot up to $200 per Bitcoin and everyone was like losing their minds and everyone dumped all their money in it. I was like, I don't understand Bitcoin, I'm not doing it. And then it dropped to 150 and there were like literally people like posting that they were gonna kill themselves over this because they dumped their entire savings in it. And now Bitcoin is what, $1,800 per Bitcoin? Yeah, which is insane it's insane. Yeah. And like a friend of mine is like convinced that the logic of Bitcoin can only send Bitcoins up to like a million dollars per Bitcoin. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't understand it. I don't understand like, the political aspects of a cryptocurrency. Mm. At what point does the government step in? Like at what point does this become enough of a threat to the existing economic structures that 
something comes in and just like knocks it down a few pegs and or I, at what point just like some hacker group come and steal all the bitcoins yeah. i don't know how this stuff works which has happened so, so many times show me the gains over time people have had their computers hacked and uh they're like bitcoin wallets have been stolen yeah. and you know I, and honestly i don't know why you need to have like such extreme anonymity I mean, you generally are pretty anonymous when you buy shit. Anyways, I mean, but, I, I hey. 100% understand the function and the reasoning for a cryptocurrency, especially if you have a currency that is not tied to a, a political country. entity or a country or the power structure. Like, you know, obviously you can use that for nefarious means, but you can use it just for like being a private person that doesn't want to have all your shit tracked or managed by government. Dude, I totally understand that. Imagine if but, you were a British person and you had uh, pounds, right? And uh, then Brexit happened and you can't believe that this happened. This is not what you believed in, wanted, whatever. Yeah. You know, and uh, the currency tanks and your your wealth is cut as a result of some ridiculous actions other people took. Exactly. I, I guess... But you know, uh, Bitcoin is not immune to speculation and stuff. So. Oh, oh, I think that's. I honestly think that like speculation is a large part of the reason that the value is going up. Yeah. And again, but I, I don't one hundred percent understand that. So because I don't understand it, it it does not mean that it's a bad investment decision for the people who do understand it. Mm. But for me, I'm an outsider looking in who has little scraps of information and the and like the most concrete thing that I can look at is the historical performance but that is not going to sway me to buy or not buy like mm. I understand human psychology I understand like established businesses a little better so like I was more comfortable buying united cuz I was like I understand human psychology I understand that people will not be mad at this you know speaking afterwards. of united uh, he, he says our favorite holding period is forever. Oh which, yeah. Uh, which, which I love because first of all, you do a lot of research in the beginning, decide mm -hmm. that this is the thing that I'm going to invest in. And then you walk away and you do something else. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess if you put a ton of effort into one company, uh, if it does turn out to be a hit and you're not selling it right away, then all that effort you invested is compounded mm. by holding it over the long term. So that makes sense to me. Would you and hold I mean, United forever? I'm just curious. I have no intention of selling it. Mm. I mean, I'm just really like for me at this point, individual stock investing is a game. Yeah, you know? I wouldn't put a, like, put like a meaningful 250 amount. 250 bucks in there and I'm just, you know, if I lose it, I, it's like a speeding ticket pretty much. Mm. If it all tanks and it's very unlikely for literally all of it to tank. So... It's it's just more like proof of concept for me. You know, it's crazy. So I, I've talked to so many people that have followed advice because, like, quote, Jim Cramer said it. And by the way, he has like a show, like I don't know, like five times a day, every whatever. Like it's so frequent, he has to constantly come up with new things to like yell about. And uh, there was a site I had read like a while back where they basically did an analysis on all of his picks over time. And it was it was slightly worse than like a coin flip in terms of the success. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Jim Cramer doesn't beat the market. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. It's, yep, a, it's his, like uh, his action alerts plus portfolio trails the S&P 500. Good job, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you get a television show. See, you don't have to pick good stocks. You just have to have a crazy personality and tell other people to pick stocks. 
You just have to have a soundboard so you can hit buttons and it like makes car horns. What have we been doing, Andrew? I have the soundboard stuff right here. We can get some car horns. I can buy some baseball bats. We need to invest in upgrading our technology. So yeah, we can just be like, buy Apple today. And now then like, buy Microsoft. Now short Apple tomorrow. Sirens, laugh track, <laughs> <laughs> plane crash. You want logic? You want reasoning? How about a bus horn? How about a fart noise? <laughs> okay, so I think that we have... Well, okay, so actually we have three There's left technically. And we should probably yep. say them all so it is actually 22. Yes. Um, so number one, someone's sitting in the shade today because someone else planted a tree a long time ago. And I, I love that one. I do love that one. Number one highlights the value of long-term thinking and planning ahead. But number two... It does remind you to be grateful to the people who created the structures that allow you to do what you do. Like the iPhone. Like the iPhone or like the computer or literally anything. Yeah. Like you, no, no man is an island and anything you do, you only are able to do it because other people helped you be able to do that no matter how independent you think you are. You know, and, and that's the way that I, I view our finances and investments and business is like – you just put a little here, put a little there, and then you come back later. Like you just put, plan it, invest it, whatever, create that article, uh, and then just move on. And yeah. it'll be bigger when you come back. Yep. So we also have, whether we're talking about socks or stocks, I like buying quality merchandise when it is marked down. Damn right. So looks like he's looking for good prices. That's so why I, I get my I, seltzer I order from say, Trader Joe's. <laughs> is that marked down? Yeah, it's like super cheap there. It's crazy. I've actually never been in a Trader Joe's. It's all like their own brand, so you don't pay for like craft seltzer yeah. water or whatever. I do I do want to contrast that again to the quote that we mentioned earlier. Far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price, which highlights, yes, Warren Buffett is a value investor. He's looking for the diamonds in the rough that are not currently valued at what they're truly worth, but the value of the company, it being a wonderful company with solid fundamentals, takes precedence over the price any day. So never let that sexy price blindfold you mm. to whether or not the company is solid. Yeah. And if it's extremely cheap, there's probably a reason. Exactly. And don't just apply this to investing. You know, if you've got an opportunity on the table and it seems really good price-wise – Ask yourself, why Why is it priced that way? What are the fundamentals of this? Like, mm. you know, they're offering me a job at 100K a year. Oh, it looks like I'm actually going to have to sell my kidneys and they're going <laughs> to regrow kidneys in my body with weird science stuff. And that's actually how I'm going to make the money. And they're just not telling me. Like, you need to know these things. <laughs> and last one, uh, which is a good one to end on, I think. Yeah. If you get to my age in life and nobody thinks well of you, I don't care how big your bank account is. Your life is a disaster. Mm. Don't be a dick. Money matters. Money matters, but not. it's not the only thing that matters. Yeah. <laughs> don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always like feared being one of those entrepreneurs that like didn't see his family ever. Mm. And, you know, I think this reminds me of something that, uh, that I try to keep in mind. With any entrepreneur, I try to learn from them with regards to the qualities that are good and that I agree with, mm. but then also acknowledge that they had flaws. 
Yeah, we all do. Like Steve Jobs was a visionary, but he was a terrible fucking father. Yeah. And like he didn't like hardly ever saw his family and stuff. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a terrible father to find success like Steve did. Yeah, you know, like at least from what I've read, it seems like Jeff Bezos puts quite a bit more time with his family mm. than Steve did. Like he has breakfast with his family every single morning and you know, so I think you can you can balance those things and still be successful. I was reading this article yesterday uh, and it was about Joe Biden and he gave this commencement speech and he's had like a really tough time with family and people dying, but he puts family so far ahead of everything. His family lives in Delaware. He made uh, over 8,400 round trips from DC to Delaware so that every night he can go to bed with his family and wake up with them. Oh, wow. Which is like crazy but that yeah. shows like where his like where his heart lies absolutely cool well that is 22 life lessons from warren buffett <laughs> boom <laughs> <laughs> thank you warren yeah i should read a book about him at some point mm. but i gotta finish steve jobs first it's a you hefty finish book. it and then give us the uh the cliff notes of it was, was he successful? Did people buy the iPhone? Uh, no one bought the iPhone. Certainly Damn. not wearing a miniature iPhone on my wrist right now. Mm. <laughs> so actually, he didn't really have anything to do with that, I don't think. True. Uh, maybe he mentioned it at one point, but yeah. Rest in peace, Steve. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. You can email us your questions over to listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. So if you got questions about money or what kind of socks Warren Buffett wore, uh, email them to us and we'll see if we can get them answered on the show. You can also go over to pro.listenmoneymatters.com for all sorts of cool tools, including our real estate evaluation tool, which Andrew coded up. And uh, if you're interested in real estate investing, number one, we do have a pretty good series that we did back in November, I think. So if you want to learn the fundamentals of how to do that, you can listen to that series. But also our tool over there will help you evaluate any property you're interested in to see if it will actually cash flow. And beyond that, we've got lots of other recommendations for resources, for apps, for books, budgeting tools, all sorts of cool stuff over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. So check that stuff out and uh, we will see you guys in the next episode. Later, man. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show.